Sophie Rose is Assistant Curator of International Art at the Queensland Art Gallery, the Gallery of Modern Art. Sophie is the first to receive the Dame Quentin Bryce John Monash Scholarship, graduating from the University of Queensland with a Bachelor of Arts, First Class Honours in Art History and receiving a University Medal for her studies. Sophie has gone on to help realise several exhibitions of contemporary and historical art at the Queensland Art Gallery and most recently European masterpieces from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. She's about to embark on a Master of Arts at the Centre of Curatorial Studies at Bard College in the United States. And Sophie, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, so Bard College. I had to Google that. I had not heard of Bard College (laughs) before. So tell me about Bard College and why you picked it. You know, unlike the really big Ivy League colleges in the US, for instance, it's a liberal arts college. So it's much smaller. It doesn't kind of have that big international profile, but it is fairly well known within the arts. And where I'm going is it's actually, it's a kind of a really specialized center within Bard College that it was set up in 94, which sounds very recent, but for curatorial studies, that's actually quite old. It's one of the first that set up this program that was different to art history. So really, I think where I'm studying really will be at this centre, the Centre of Curatorial Studies. Um, And I had, you know, a really good time I actually visited recently. Oh, so you went there. What's it like? It is small. It's kind of a beautiful setting. It's in upstate New York, so about an hour and a half from the city really in quite a rural area and um, the centre itself is all in one building which is really interesting Um, so they have you know where they teach the classes and the library and the um, museum where you curate your final graduate show it's all in one place so it's really this hub which is great. And so when you begin your master's what does that look like what what do you have to do to complete your work? Yeah, so it's it's course-based and for the first year and there's a number of different electives you can do, but it's really um, split between, I guess, theory and practice, which is what appealed to me. So you, you learn, um, you know, a lot of art theory and kind of um, critical theory, but you also have a chance to... Um, in the first year, you curate a show um, with your classmates, which will be really interesting. wonder what that will be. Yeah, well, I, I have no idea. Who knows, yeah. Yeah, what we come up with and um, and then the final, the final project, you write a, a small thesis, but the final project really is um, curating this exhibition of your own, which um, is displayed in the museum um, that's part of the centre. So it's, yeah, it's got this really interesting split and I think that for me, my point of my career is really where I wanted to go. I've been working as assistant curator at Quagoma in Brisbane for almost five years now. So I, I feel like I, I wanted to keep up that actual practice of, of actually making things and, and making something that you can see in the space, something tangible at the end of the day. 
And so that the the actual master's course, how long how long will that take you? Oh yeah, sorry, it's it's two years. Couple of years. So a, yeah. yeah, standard MA time. And then once you finish that, what's the plan? Would you stay over in America or, or come back home to Brisbane? It's a little bit open ended, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, if there's an opportunity in America, that would be great to follow. It's very exciting. I'm excited for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> excited and, and terrified. But um, it's, yeah, the, you know, there might be um, opportunities there or, or even, you know, somewhere in Europe. Um, I think eventually I, I want to return to Australia. Um, I really enjoy or I'm really proud of actually our um, our kind of tradition of public art galleries and museums and I think there's something. In, in Australia? In Australia, yeah. And I, I think there's something very special um, that you kind of almost, you forget about when you're here. But How good they are, yeah. Yeah, how good they are. And to have something that's free and, and truly accessible to everyone, it's like I see them as kind of in the same camp as, you know, out Medicare and, and kind of relatively cheap tertiary education. Like it, it's one of these things that, really we're very lucky to have and should really in, endeavour to keep as kind of enriched as possible. Which I know you're from Queensland, but which 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 ones are your favourites? No doubt you would have seen a few. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think all, all the big galleries are interesting. I think there's a lot of um, university galleries in Australia that are also doing really interesting things. And again, they're sort of publicly funded spaces that are a bit smaller. Like I know, for instance, the gallery at Monash University, Mama, is really interesting. And and there's there's so many spaces. I mean, I, I kind of am most interested in somewhere I really want to get to before I leave is, say, go over to, to Perth and see their um, Pika. What have they got there? They've got um, their kind of state gallery and also they have – an Institute of Contemporary Art, which I think is doing really interesting things. And like often those places that are slightly, uh, you know, um, away from the centre, the kind of, you know, so-called provincial places, uh, I think actually can do really interesting things. And um, yeah, so sometimes those, I think what I, what I've found is those sort of more medium-sized places often produce things that are maybe a little bit more risk-taking, um, but, but also the big galleries, I think, have such a broader reach, which is also really important. Um, have you been to the one in Tasmania? Is it Mona? I have been a very long time ago, and it has a very different flavour because it's actually, it's not government. Old and new. Yeah, it's old and new, and also it, it's built off one um, David Walsh, who's sort of a professional gambler, I think, his collection. So it's actually quite idiosyncratic in a way, and it's um, – <laughs> yeah, so that one's a bit different because it kind of has the scale of a of a state gallery but is not – is actually a private collection. Just random stuff in there, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they have curators and they definitely, you know, it's, it's not just him and his vision, but it, it comes from a slightly different model. How did you first get interested in art? I'm curious to know what got you started on this journey. Yeah, I think, I mean, probably like a lot of kids, I always really loved drawing and then I um, really got into 
like art making in high school and was kind of almost addicted to it. I think like I remember going in at 7.30 before school and going into the art rooms and then like even going, you know, during lunchtime and after school and, and kind of it just became really this, mm, your um, thing. this slight, my thing and my slight obsession. But then I think also I realized in, <laughs> in, in high school, my obsession. <laughs> well, yeah, if we're honest, but, um, and then I think I realized in high school as well, that actually what I liked even more than, than painting or, or making art was, um, writing about art and, and I think something about turning, you know, finding a way to describe something visual in language and and the kind of um, the challenge of that, but also the, you know, the really the excitement in a way when, when you can describe something um, in language and you can draw out something that makes you look at an artwork differently. Um, and then from that kind of I um from yeah from really enjoying the few um you know art art history assignments we had at school I decided to do art history um and English literature at uni and then yeah so that and then art history became kind of the more prominent one and I did my my honours year in art history and I mean I didn't know what a curator was at all i was going to ask that so when you do when you when you go down that pathway are there a lot of jobs out there for you or is it or is it pretty (laughs) tough in the in the in the job market it's not as if you know you're a you're a lawyer or something where it's like okay i can do a million things in law within art history that's a little bit more niche that's i imagine would be a bit tougher definitely yeah there's there's not a huge job prospect but I think um I think there's more than people realize and I think you do in a way you have to kind of take a bit of a risk in that there's no you know there's no um guaranteed outcome but I've been surprised by just how many different roles there are in the arts um curating is kind of is just one of them especially at these bigger galleries we have you know um people uh, art conservators people who deal with the logistics which we call registrars um we have kind of project managers and it it really is kind of surprising how many people it takes to put on um put on an exhibition but but anyway i didn't i had no idea what a curator was i don't think i had ever heard the word um definitely until i got to uni and as i mean most i mean i don't think it's People have heard the word in the sense of you know curating your your Instagram feed or or the S or the SCG pitch for the cricket. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. It is funny when you go on you know job websites and type in curator. There's a lot of lawn curators. <laughs> which, Expertise um, in turf. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. So um, a different a different sort of care and in, in a different sort of um management i guess of of art rather than grass but um it's uh yeah so i i kind of found out what it was um at uni and i think so almost by accident i think i found something that um was really set up for something that um kind of satisfied a lot of things that i wanted to do so there was the the art historical side there's you know a great amount of um research and and writing that we do um, 
to to put on a show or to make to buy an artwork for the for the gallery. Um, but also, it, I think it kind of satisfied a slightly more, um, I guess, a more creative side of me. Of you, you're not just working with language; you're also working in space. And I think a good exhibition is sort of it's like an essay or a journey that you create visually in space. And I, I love, you know, I really love things down to like picking the right frames, picking the right wall color. I think all of those things can seem you know, they could seem sort of um, decorative or, or frivolous even, but I think that actually all of those things help communicate what you're trying to say with art. And, and um, so I love, you know, working from the kind of big theory right down to those little details. Well, let's get into that, if, if I may. What goes into curating an exhibition? Because if, like, for an average punter turning up, they might say, oh, that looks good, or I don't like that one, or like I'd be keen to know the level of detail and organisation and thinking behind putting an exhibition together. Yeah, most, I mean, most people are surprised when I say, like I'd say the average time for planning an exhibition is three years, especially for <laughs> a, a big wow. one. Like, really? Yes. Yeah, it, it, yeah, truly. And it's, um, I think, you know, when you think of all the steps that have to happen, like, you know, often, often the shows that I've worked on are what we call group exhibitions. So they include a number of different artists and often those artists will speak to a theme or, or some sort of topic and will really play off each other. So there's a big, um, big part of the process at the beginning, which is really just you know, doing a whole lot of research, seeing, um, you know, finding books for other exhibitions that have happened, reading articles, trying to find the best artists who can kind of come together and tell a particular story, whether that's, you know, relating to a theme. Like I did a show, um, I didn't do it, I worked on a show um, uh, in 2019 that was called, it was just called Water and it was really looking at how how have artists responded to this really basic element of water and what role does water play in our kind of broader lives today with, with climate change and sort of the politics around that and but also all the, the cultural meanings that it has across different cultures. Um, so that, that was a show um, where you know, we kind of had this very broad theme and then it was a, a process of not just finding artists who could relate to the theme, like it, it's not just a sort of where's Wally of, you know, who's painting an ocean or something, but but um, <laughs> you, create, you create sort of sub um, arguments within that theme. So it's, it's kind of um, finding a way that um, you can select artists who you think are making really meaningful work, um, really interesting work that perhaps the public hasn't seen before. But also there's this wonderful chemistry of a group show where um, it becomes more than the sum of its parts, I guess. So you, by putting the artists into a sort of spatial relationship, um, you know, you find different connections between them and you can bring out something that um, is... is um, you know, they say something more together, I think. So that's, I mean, that's 
the very theoretical side of making an exhibition and then you really get into the logistics and um, I'm trying to think to give a summary of our, our process. So there's a big, there's a big um, process of just finalising the list of artworks and that involves getting permissions from the artists. Um, sometimes we commission. What would you need potentially? Is it, you know, hundreds of artworks for one exhibition? Yeah, for, for a big one, like for the water exhibition, and actually I'm, I'm working on, um, for the end of this year, the gallery is putting out a sort of follow-up called Air, so working with a similar premise. But um, for a big exhibition like that, it would be um, kind of, yeah, probably about 100 artworks, maybe about 40 artists, depending Um um, so, so there's a lot of sort of reaching out to artists or looking for works that are already in our permanent collection that the gallery owns, um, and also all reaching out to other museums. So we, we loan from other museums sometimes. Is that a, de a delicate balancing act? Yeah, it is. And it's, um, it's, you know, and, and then also the other thing we sometimes do is, I guess, um, give a contribution, a financial contribution to an artist so they can make a new work. Um, right, okay, so, yeah. So that's that's another process to, um, altogether. But you kind of have to, you can imagine with all those different parties, there's a lot of um, negotiation that has to go around just to confirm. I bet. I mean, you don't even think about that, all the things that are happening behind the scenes, yes. Yes, and then, you know, and then we work with um, – our really brilliant registration team who organise things like the freight, like, you know, we, you know, somewhere like Goma deals with sometimes really huge installations and kind of just the logistics of, well, how do you get, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, like for... That's right. How do we get that waterfall into our gallery? Yeah, absolutely. And and that um, a good example of that is for water. We um we restaged a work by the um the Finnish artist Oliver Eliasson. He has a work which is just called Riverbed, and it really is um it's like a indoor um segment of of the landscape. So it has flowing water, it has like tons and tons of rock. And you can imagine just finding out where to source these rocks, how to get the water engineering in the gallery, um, you know, how to make it seem effortless. There's so much work that goes into making these things seem effortless. Um, and that's, you know, we really rely on, on the registrars and also on our, um, we have an exhibition design team at the gallery, which is really not not all galleries have that. So it's really great to have them on board. Um, so there's kind of all these, you know, there's all these things to consider in just getting artwork into the gallery. And then, um, you know, and then often we produce a, a catalogue that goes with the exhibition, so a book um, that goes deeper into the different artists' works and, and um, you know, often will kind of tease out these more theoretical things. So, so that also is, is kind of like a separate project in itself and you can imagine there's a lot of writing for that, a lot of research that goes into that. Um, yeah, and then, 
And then you kind of work towards, I guess, marketing the show, um, you know, reaching out to, to media people and everything. You need the foot traffic through the door. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And, um, and, and then also there's kind of once the show's open, there's this, um, you know, this, this kind of second, um, second wave where you have to then um, kind of do public talks and it's really great if you can have artists in the gallery and you can kind of do a talk about their work and there's this this sort of second stage. It's quite surreal actually because often you've been working on something for, you know, two or three years by yourself. No one knows about it and then suddenly it's in the public space and everyone's saying, you know, have you seen that? That's what you've been doing. That's what you've been doing. But also, you know, people might not even know that you've been working on that. So they'll say, oh, have you seen that water exhibition? And and suddenly then it becomes about communicating that show to the public. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been working on for the past three years. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And, and hopefully by that point, you, you, know, you have some phrases under your belt. But, um, yeah, so, so it kind of is curatorial um, – as a, I guess, yeah, curators often in these big places, especially as sort of the nucleus of a much bigger web of, of people. So we definitely don't do everything, but we're kind of, you know, we're we're there for all the stages, and and ultimately the sort of ideas, I guess, come come out of our department. So yeah, it's that's probably a very long winded way to explain it, but um. No, I, I loved it. Uh, it was fantastic. Thank you. Oh, good. So in your view, Sophie, obviously very subjective, but what's your definition of good art or great art? I know that's a hard one to answer, but have a crack at it. I mean, it's stumped philosophers for centuries, so I'm not sure how good my answer's going to be. But um... We're breaking new ground on the Scholars Podcast. <laughs> yes, indeed. I think for me, I mean, good art is something that makes you – think in a different way or feel in a different way. And I think that's probably as close as I can get um, to a to a kind of definition. I think art in a way, contemporary art especially, is this kind of amazing um, magpie discipline where, you know, artists can can make work about all different sorts of things in the world. Like they can make work about the environment or scientific things or philosophical things or, or social issues or or even just sort of art about art. So in a way I think the role of art in our society is it doesn't just ask the how but the why. Um, and it's it gives it gives potency to all these other things that are going on in the world. It's a way to make sense of these things and it's a way to, um, I think, allow people to think through these bigger issues um, in, a, in a different way but also in a much more um, kind of uh, emotional way, you might say. Like I think we, we remember a work of art much more than we remember a news article, for instance. Now, that is true. That is true. For someone who has studied art and devoted a career to it, what are what are some of your favourite artworks that are out there, whether it's, you know, some of the, the classic masterpieces or some of the contemporary works? What, what are some of your personal favourites, but potentially ones that you've seen in the flesh as well? This is another very hard question. Maybe I'll just 
answer it by ones that are kind of in the forefront of my mind because, um, you know, certain artists I've seen recently or, or hoping to work with. So, I mean, one one that just springs to mind is this incredible um, contemporary artist, Dora Budor, who's from Croatia but has now moved to New York actually, so we might be kind of neighbours. But um, she, I mean, she created this incredible work which I first saw in Istanbul, which if you imagine kind of almost like big fish tanks and they are filled with these swirling pigments um, and you realise slowly as you approach them that these these colours are swirling because there's little puffs of air that are coming from the bottom of them and they look almost like, ex, uh, you know, sort of um, Martian landscapes or something and they, they have this very, yeah, very sort of... Um, calming and um, almost surreal presence. But then when you, you know, read the label, you find out that actually those works are responding to the noise of a construction site nearby. So when the construction is kind of loud, the chambers become really turbulent, and then you can imagine when it's quieter, they become more still. What happens in the middle of the night? There's nothing. Well, yeah, the gallery's closed, but <laughs> it's it's just some... You know, I think that's like a really smart and quite poetic way to think about what are the changes that are happening in our urban landscape and these things, you know, our the kind of um, topography of our cities is in fact always changing. You know, people are always digging and building and she's thinking about those things but has found a really simple and beautiful way to to show that. So I think that's an example of an artist making you see the world differently. After seeing that work, I, I do think a lot more about kind of this weird, um, these weird almost mutations that are happening across cities. Fascinating. It's a great answer. Tell me, Sophie, how do how do Australians stack up on the world stage when it comes to art? Uh, I, I think Australian artists are, are truly some of the best. Um, I think we are in such a interesting position. Um, you know, having a a kind of colonial past and a very, uh, very dark past, but that that kind of um, hybridity, I guess, that that Australian culture has, I think, produces really interesting work and the sort of, um, you know, the the tension in Australia, for want of a better word, I think, produces really interesting, diverse work and. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many Australian artists that I could talk about, um, but one of the reasons that I kind of would like to study overseas, I guess, as opposed to here, is being able to put those artists um, in a different context and kind of hopefully maybe also introducing some of my, my peers to the work of Australian artists. Spread the word. Absolutely, and really advocate for them as well. I'm keen to know when you... Um applied for the scholarship what was the reaction well because um i've interviewed a lot of scholars uh, there are a few artists not many um what was what was that what was the process like of, of going through all of that and having to think about what you wanted to do and why you wanted to study it's a really helpful process actually like i think even if anyone's thinking about applying even if you're not successful i think it it makes you realize you know, actually what you want to do um, 
in your career and I think for for art and definitely for kind of um, for curating it's it's much harder to make an argument for um, what art can provide for society as opposed to you know like a doctor in palliative care or something mm, like it's of course. it's yeah. it's not as obvious but um, I think doing the process it was really helpful for me to realize that I am really interested in what um, art and museums can provide to the sort of civic sphere because I think we want we want civic life to be sort of equitable and free and comfortable but also really enriched and to provide a chance for anyone to be able to have these sort of um, these experiences where they can think and feel differently. Um, and I think for me it was doing the process made me realise, again, just how how kind of special that um, tradition of public museums and galleries is in Australia, um, but also realising that it's something that we really need to fight to maintain because um, I think what um, what I talked about in my interview actually is that I kind of came into the art world in um, what I see as a very sort of, um, in a way, a very polarised um, environment and not, not just politically polarised but in the sense that you have, um, you know, you have some uh, galleries that are kind of so, in a way, um, myopic or, or kind of doing things that are perhaps interesting to the, the, the already converted but quite opaque and quite... Um, you know, unwelcoming to a broader public. And then um, on the other hand, though, you have these bigger galleries where the pressure to the the pressure to get numbers through the door and the fact that those numbers really dictate the funding is so great that you get really um, kind of really populist and not civic, I would say, is the distinction Um motivations behind exhibitions because I think you know things um the point of getting people through the door is not just to show them what they already know um I mean I I, I won't I can't think of a, a example necessarily but you want people to be challenged as well and I think that's that's something we tried to do with water for instance where you might come for the big indoor riverbed but you might stay for something quieter something like um you know we had a work by uh, a young indigenous artist ruby alderton um which was made actually when she was 18 a video work and that's the sort of thing that people maybe aren't expecting to see you know she's not an artist with an international profile but you can kind of offer you can offer that along with something popular um, but I think if you're only appealing to people with what they already know and what they already want then that's actually not that's doing the public a disservice. I remember taking our, my wife and kids to the Biennale in Sydney a couple many years ago at, at Cockatoo Island and we we spent hours there and and walked away in a state of utter confusion <laughs> and exhilaration, yes. I think, all at the same time. We had no idea, Sophie, what was going on. None. But we left with a, yeah. we left with a feeling of, 
well, that was interesting, that was amazing, when's it on again? Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Sophie, thanks for coming onto the podcast today. It's been great talking with you. We wish you well with your studies later this year in the United States, and hopefully we can catch up again once you've graduated and, and you're back in Australia. So thank you very much for your time and all the very best. Thank you.